Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have an impromptu guest, someone who was going to be here for about, I don't know, 15 minutes and ended up being here about an hour, uh, and brings us to places Paratopia has never gone. That's right, the political realm. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy Vaney, and you are... The reluctant Jeff Ritzman. And our guest is one Tim Banal from banalofamerica.com. That is www.binnallofamerica.com, all one word. Before we get to him, I've got to ask, why are you reluctant? I don't like politics, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really political. It's more conspiratorial. Yeah, it's more disillusionment with people's reactions uh, across the board to the Osama thing, pro and con. Uh, so, but we'll get into that, uh, during the show. I got to say, before we get going, that, that I had food poisoning earlier this week. Food poisoning, I say. Uh, and as a result, I have not, uh, had any caffeine in three days. Well, not as a result, but. That's quite an accomplishment for you. Partially as a result. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, I was a coffee addict or I'm a coffee addict. I don't know. Yeah. But I know I'm dead tired now, so if I get loopy, forgive me. But here's why I mention it. What was interesting was uh, that at some point during the night, I had like, well, the whole time I had super smell. (laughs) So I could smell like everything. I could smell just everything stank. (laughs) Like I could smell my clothes. I could smell my sheets. I could, the the air was so thick. I had to like open the window because I felt like I couldn't breathe. Uh, Just everything that, that, which I can't smell now, but just everything. I could smell like ingredients to things, you know? Wow. It was awful. Uh, and then I, I feel bad for dogs, you know? Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe. Uh, and then <laughs> at some point during the night, I got this sort of super hearing a la the mushroom trip, which is like anytime I would just swallow, like normally swallow, I could hear it. It was like this loud, tinny gulping sound, like all the bass was taken out of it or something. I don't know. It was weird. Um, and it was the middle of the night, so there wasn't really much else to listen to. But strange, it was just strange to me that, that I had food poisoning off of a fruit and had um, at least some reactions similar to or the same as a mushroom trip, mm. although no visuals and no turning into a clown. Can I say what's really interesting about the food poisoning is the way I found out about it was the phone rang about 2 o'clock in the morning, perhaps 2.20, and I said hello, and the, on the other end of the line, I hear Mr. Vaney say, I'm dying. <laughs> nah. Yes. <laughs> it was two twenty-two. That's right, two twenty-two. <laughs> and I pick up the phone. I say hello, and I hear, "I'm dying." <laughs> and I said, "What? What's what's going on?" I don't know. I just went in the bathroom and I threw up, and I wasn't even sick at my stomach. <laughs> but you had a bad, 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 bad headache. It felt like somebody caved your skull in with a sledgehammer. Yes. And. um what I found interesting was what you told me about moving the headache around. Like you could yeah. rub your head and kind of move it. It was and the kind of it was the kind of headache that I've, other people I've said this to, and they said, "Oh yeah, I've had that," but I haven't. Which is, it felt just fine when I was standing up. It kind of hurt when I was sitting down, and it killed when I was lying down. Uh-huh. So what I all I wanted to do was lie down and shut my eyes and and have the headache go away, and it made it worse. <laughs> Huh. So I'm sitting there. I mean, I wasn't doing any meditation energy 
type stuff or anything like that. I was just yanking on my own head the way one does when their head is killing them. Right. Uh, and just like pressing down on it. And I sort of, I moved it down into my eyes. So now I had like an eye ache. Uh, and I moved it up a little into my forehead and like, I was I'm kind of amazed that this was happening. I was like, well, this is weird. Um, but it hurt my jaw, like to be so close, I guess, too far forward. Uh, it was hurting my jaw. So I moved it back to the top of my head and I didn't originally tell Jeff this because, uh, I didn't want him to tell me I had a tumor, which is pretty much what I feared at that point. I have a question. What was the fruit? <sighs> I don't remember what it was. Really? It's a big, it was something that, that, uh, my neighbors left here a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks. Well, like a month ago. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You stupid bastard. You deserve to be sick. It was green when it got here. It, it turned yellow and then it was like, eh, I'll put it in the fridge. I mean, it didn't mush or anything. And was it a, a plantain or what? No, it was like a papaya or something. It was. Oh like, my God. It was a weird fruit. <laughs> you ate an old weird fruit and you're wondering, why am I sick? I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. Don't eat fucking weird fruit that's been in your house for a month. Well, there's the answer. Didn't I learn that the hard way? Oh my god! I thought, eh, I'll grind it up into a smoothie. Delicious. <laughs> oh god, it was delicious. God have mercy. What did you <laughs> blend it with? Milk? I bet that was pleasant on the yogurt. way out. I blended it with yogurt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, have mercy. Oh, mama. That had to have been some kind of horrific hurl. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I mean, I didn't, I didn't feel sick other than like the giant headache, but I didn't feel like I had the flu. Like it didn't kill my will to live the way the flu does. Right. So I'm like sitting there on one knee like, like, all right, are we done? And they're like, okay, I guess I'll get down on two knees. Uh, and it was just like, oh God, can I just, can we just be done with this so I can stop doing this now? You know, it was like that kind of attitude. Like I was more frustrated that I had to be there than than actually feeling sick. So that's how I knew I wasn't sick. That's how I knew I didn't have the flu. Oh. Um, but man, it tore up my throat. There's a lot of puke. I mean, you're, I, you're welcome, I, Paratopia. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a second you're welcome moment. I, I really find it quite amazing that uh, uh, that the human body can expel like that. I mean, yes. when something's bad, it will get rid of it. And uh, I, I find that to be amazing. I mean, as gross as a production as that may be, it uh, it is pretty amazing that your body knows what's bad and and doesn't just uh, clam up and do nothing. But the fact that it actually will, uh, I mean, I know this because when I went on a cruise, I ate too much. That's right, I ate too much because um, I don't normally swallow three meals a day. But there on the boat, oh, <laughs> try six. <laughs> And uh, and I woke up much like you in the middle of the night, and, and didn't feel particularly bad, but I just had this overwhelming urge to puke, and I did, and I did for many hours. And when I went to the ship's doctor in the morning, as we pulled into Cozumel, he took a uh, I, I I don't know I don't know what they put me in. It was a a beautiful facility on this ship. I mean, amazing machinery and. Uh, they stuck me on this thing, and he, he says, uh, how much do you usually eat during the week? And I was like, you know, uh, lunch and dinner, and that's pretty much it. How much are you eating here? And I told him, and he says, well, your stomach is roughly two and a half sizes larger than it should be. And uh, 
You just need to dial it back a little bit. But what's interesting about that is I had horrible, horrible pain, stomach pains. No more vomiting, just horrible stomach pains. And I asked him what that was. And he said, that is your stomach wringing itself out. How amazing is that? It's wringing itself out because it simply can't digest what you're putting in. And so it wrings itself out like a towel. That's am- I mean, the human body is absolutely astounding to me. Um, I love mine because I abuse it like crazy, and it just keeps coming back for more. <laughs> but uh, I didn't have any stomach pains during this thing, so that's weird. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I – well, I, I should say I've never really had that before. Um, I was positive that I had caught the Norwalk virus on the ship because that was at the time where ships were you know, becoming infected with that kind of thing. And I thought, sure, that now I've got it, and now the rest of the trip is ruined. But it turned out, no, it was just one night, and the next day I was like you. I mean, just I hurt all over my back, my throat, my face, my chest, um, just from the body, you know, uh, the shock. And and I was okay. I went into port. I went into Mexico, and I was fine. So, um it's it, human body is 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 an amazing thing. I mean, it really is. Forget the brain. Talk about your guts, and there's real interest. <laughs> this is true. This has been a public service from Paratopia. <laughs> the more you know. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Well, on that happy note of vomiting and potential diarrhea, let's get to oh. tip and all. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome, Tim. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Paratopia, this is kind of a special show in a way, in that our guest was supposed to just do, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, but he says he has a lot to say. So so we're going to make it a (laughs) full-on episode with America's own Tim Banal. What's going on, Paratopia Nation? Tim Banal, everybody. Tim Banal. Uh, I don't know. Is that all right? What? Sure. No, well, that is your name, correct? Yes. Yes. Wow. You are a fierce interviewer. <laughs> uh, what people may not know is that uh, we co-host a little show together called The Good Parade, formerly known as The Popcast Initiative, which is a comedy show. And on the premiere episode of this show for this season, we do it in seasons for some reason because we're lazy. Is that why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to commit to that kind of, yeah. Right. Because you both have such pressing lives that you have to lead. <laughs> right, right. That's right. But 
What's going on, Jeff? Vinny just jumps right into to attacking me here on this program. <laughs> For the public record, I haven't talked to Jeff like in a year here. What's going on, buddy? Uh, I, I'm all right, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing well. <laughs> that's that's good. I have it on good authority. You're naked right now. Is that true or false? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no, fully fully clothed. I mean, wearing shoes. Oh well, fantastic. I'm glad you saw fit to dress up for tonight. Exactly. I'm sorry. Was I in the middle of a setup? Hold on. Let me get back to that. You ready? All right, Vanny. Let's let's do it. Okay. So, all so right, yeah. we do this show together, and on the premiere episode, uh, Tim Banal laid out a story wherein he went to a hypnotist to stop smoking, and I, it took place in a big room in a hotel uh, with other people, and this sort of quack hypnotist who tried to get him to. Well, stop smoking. It was broken up between people who were trying to lose weight and people who were trying to stop smoking. It was like a like a catch-all hypnotism session or something. Yeah. And so, you know, we sort of joked about it on that show. But some of the things that you said, um, I think in private, I don't think we had them on the show, uh, actually apply more to what we do here and what you do on your show um, in terms of how just having been hypnotized uh, makes you view hypnotism. So maybe if you want to speak to that a little bit. Right, right. Well, we kind of talked about this, and it it just makes you feel like you have to produce for the person who's hypnotizing you. And uh, I think in the story I told you, when the guy did it to me, it was like, he's like, go to the most relaxing place you've been the last five years. And it's like, you don't, I, I don't know, maybe I wasn't doing the hypnosis right, but this was, you know, within, within like the first five minutes, the whole thing only lasted like 10, 15 minutes, something like that. And it's like, I don't know about you guys, but if I put you on the spot like that, it's hard to come up with the most relaxing place you've been in the last five years. And it's like such a specific kind of question. And then you start thinking, overthinking it, where you're like, does it have to be the last five years? And, you know, and then it's like, well, why couldn't it be a hypothetical place? And but, but the thing keeps going on and on, the hypnosis. So you have to produce for the guy an answer, sort of, in your mind, I guess. You know, I didn't have to answer him back. But then I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I don't know, I'll just pick this place in San Diego or some shit like that, even though it was only, even though it was seven years ago and not five, I'll just go, I'll keep going along with it. Right. So you, you feel like you're under the gun. At least I did. I mean, I'm sure there's other people who have different experiences, but you know, you feel like you're under the gun and you have to produce for, for the hypnotist. That's how I felt. Well, did you, did you feel like you were making up uh, a location in your head? <laughs> in a sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You kind of, I kind of like just pulled it out of my ass. It wasn't even particularly relaxing or anything. I mean, was it a real location you, you, that you came I up with? I can't really remember, so probably not. It was probably sort of a hypothetical location. Hmm. So do you think that if you were um, trying to retrieve memory, well, I don't know, does it then follow that it would be easy to confabulate something? And, and, and if so, then how true would, would you think that that was? I think if you were like really deep into it, I think it is a possibility. And I'm certainly no expert or anything like that, but just the uh, just the way I felt when the guy was trying to hypnotize me. I don't know. I just never felt like I was in the, the hypnosis zone, if you will. Then it wrapped up. Then it ended. And I was like, what the fuck? This isn't – I don't feel like that whole thing where they're like five, four, three, and they wake you up at the end. You're like, oh, oh. Like there wasn't any of that. I wasn't at all like, oh, well, you know, all that shit. I was like, all right, open my eyes now. Were you not relaxed, Tim? I tried to relax, but maybe I was, like, over-relaxing. Huh. Or forcing you know I mean? yourself to relax. Right, right. Were you self-conscious because there was people around you? Probably, yeah. 
mm-hmm. stands to reason. I may not have like outwardly felt it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Just naturally, you're like, who's this idiot? What's that guy's story? What? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's sort of like the way I am. So, plus the whole thing is sort of like contrived. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like you're yeah. in this hotel room with these people that you don't know and you know all these problems. And I was telling Jeremy, the guy's like a huge dick. I don't know if that has anything to do with the hypnosis park. So I talked to other people who went to hip- hypnotists for the same thing. And they said the same thing about the hypnotist. It wasn't the same guy. They said, mm-hmm. he's kind of an asshole. So I don't know if that's part of the whole process or what. Hmm. Could be, the guy had a real superiority complex. So that was kind of interesting in a way, unless it was part of the act, but it was hmm. sort of like, I'm, I've figured this all out because he lectured everybody for the first hour about right. why you shouldn't smoke and why overeating was bad for you. And it's like, no shit dude, that's why we're here. But it's like, he was so obnoxious about it. And he was in a way that was kind of like, maybe the other people, it didn't resonate with them, but his, his attitude to me was like, you're all fucking idiots. And I figured this out and you haven't figured it out yet. And that's why you're here. Right. And it was like, Hey dude, no, we don't need the hostility, man. <laughs> so he had like a real, he, he actually, yeah. And he had vanity plates. So, I mean, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, there you are. Yeah. 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 Well, like yeah. I said, I mean, I know, you know, when I went to the hypnotist that one time, uh, for abduction retrieval, uh, back in college, I mean, I knew I was confabulating. I knew I was searching around trying to come up with something. Um, and I just wonder, you know, if you don't know that, I guess one question is, if you're not that self-aware, uh, then can you get caught up in just blatantly believing the fiction that comes out of you? But then the other question is, if you are self-aware, like like you were, can you believe the fiction that's coming out of you? <laughs> I mean, did you believe the happy place? Did it make you feel happy? Did did you feel anything about it? No, no, like none of that shit. Like, and then he, the other part, like, was that he says that you're, you see, he, he takes you to the happy place, right? I can walk you through the hypnosis. He was like, because I remember it like word for word almost, not literally, but, you know, scene for scene, I guess you could say, because he, he takes you to the happy place, and then then he imagines uh, that you're like under a tree and a fucking leaf falls. You are that leaf. Then you're falling to the ground. Then he immediately jumps from, uh, I want to talk about a different kind of leaf. <laughs> this is true. Uh, the tobacco leaf. And do you know how it's grown and, like, tells you that it's grown, like, in these awful conditions down in the south, which is probably true, but who gives a fuck? And, you know, there's there's bugs and rats and shit all in the, in the fucking stuff, and, and that's how they, that's how they, like, store it in places that are awful conditions and full of all fucking rat feces and shit. And he's like, that's what you're smoking. And, like, I didn't feel any, like, repulsion or anything like that. I mean, I know I'm sort of a grungy individual, as Vaney can attest to, but even still, like, (laughs) there was no, this didn't resonate with me where I was like, ew, ew, I don't want to smoke any more cigarettes, there's bugs in them. It's like, no shit, dude, there's rat shit in, like, everything. I hate to break it to people, but not fucking all the time, but, you know, the FDA has rules on amount of, like, so, you, so wait a second, you're arguing for smoking to the hypnotist in your head? Is that what's going on? <laughs> I'm just uh, just arguing for common sense. Oh, People sorry. like don't realize, you know, if they're like, oh, gross. It's like, yeah, dude, but, you know, in every batch of Chef Boyardee, there's a certain amount of, like, fucking allowable rat feces. It's hey, 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 I had sense. raviolis about ten minutes ago. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know you served under the esteemed Chef Boyardee's, Jeff. I apologize. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, but anyway, yeah, I go. I, I don't know. So that's that's the thing. He tried to put you in a place where you felt this emotion. I didn't feel it. Maybe other people did, but so well, how does how is it uh, or has it jaded you toward abduction research, or does it not even matter because at this point, hypnotically retrieved material is pretty much out anyway. Right, I've thrown out pretty much like all hypnotic retrieval type information. I've pretty much thrown out abduction research at this point. There's no point in. I I really. I don't want to sound like one of those guys. It's like, I've been saying this for years. But like back when they showed that Peter Jennings special and half of it was UFOs, and then all of a sudden they threw like in a 15, 20-minute segment on abductions, I, even back then I was like, I don't really think, you know, if we're trying to sell UFOs to people, we should keep the abduction part out of it until we figure out the UFO part. It just turned off a lot of people. Like my mom watched it with me, and she was like, once they got to the abduction part, she was like, I'm out. I don't, I, this is, this is silly. So it was like, Hey, even if it's going on, it's still too much overload for people. Hmm. And then I find out it's all bunk anyway. So it's like, it's, I'm sure something's going on, but the story we've been sold on abductions is, is wrong. So I've thrown that out. And I don't care to go back to look at fucking figure out what it really is anymore. Hmm. Cause it's too complex. So what are you what are you down to then? You you've had uh, disclosure taken away from you. Now you've had abductions taken away from you. What's left? What's left? Bigfoot baby. Bigfoot. <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> I'm gonna nab that mangy sucker. Tim, can I, I ask know, something I mean, about, about UFOs, the baby? It's all UFOs still. I still love the UFOs, but mm. I mean, I think too many people sort of like made the leap that you know there was UFOs, and then all of a sudden abductions came along, and they're like, this is the next step. This is it. Now we now we're getting closer to the perpetrators of these UFOs and everything. It's like there was some sort of leap in logic that took everybody off course for a while. Tim, Luckily, let me let me go ahead. Jeff. Let, me, let me ask you about this this uh, hypnosis for smoking thing because uh, when I was twenty years old, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, did they book your gig as hypnotically facilitated quitting smoking that sort of thing? Right. Yeah. That was how it was actually worded in the. You yeah, know, I don't know exactly yeah. word for word, but yeah, essentially they're going to hypnotize you and you won't hypnosis. have any cravings or anything the next day. Mm-hmm. Shit, it's bullshit. Because I went to one in a hotel that was in Towson, uh, not far from my house, and they kind of booked it as a, a deep meditation or relaxation techniques for quitting smoking. But what you described as the most relaxing place you've ever been, that sort of thing, I mean, they, they, they got us to that place. Yeah. And then um, – the visual was to picture a cigarette about a foot away from your face, the burning end towards you, and gradually have it come closer and closer and closer till it's under your nose and now turn up the volume, so to speak, of the odor until it's intolerable. And so, I, I mean, I did all this stuff. I did it. And um, Did you feel it, though? Oh, yeah. You felt uh, the intolerability of the smell and all that shit? Yeah. In fact, uh, when I got out of there, I um, I think my mom came to pick me up or something. I, I, I was still in college, I think. And uh, and when she came to pick me up, as I walked out of the hotel, I walked by two men smoking outside and I vomited. <laughs> wow. Um, and, There's um, a story kind of like that where they, yeah. they went to hypnotists and it ended up with them being sick by the smell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the bad part was is that I actually did quit for three months. But that's the bad part. <laughs> that, well, well, here is the bad part. Uh, that comes at a very high price, which equates to horrifying, horrifyingly bizarre dreams. Um, 
yeah, I was real fucked up for about a month after I would say maybe two and a half, three weeks of not smoking and really being happy of not being addicted to anything. Um, I, I began to have nightmares that were turned up to 11 every night and the most vivid that you could possibly have and all night long from the time you shut your eyes to the time you wake up, just constant. You got up tired. Um, and so I started smoking again and everything went back to normal. <laughs> Weird. Do you still smoke or no? No, no. I quit, um, I quit using lozenges like six years ago. But the uh, caveat to that is I'm still on the lozenges. <laughs> of uh, course. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, You're, you keep Ludens in business. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, but they didn't they didn't actually book that as a hypnotic thing. They booked it more as like a relaxation technique that you could do on your own and you can take this home and and this is doable. I mean, you can you can if you really want to quit, this will work. And um and it did, but it really I don't know, it was like replace one bad thing with something else that's really bad and Eventually, you just go back. I mean, eventually, you just can't take it anymore. You think, well, fuck it. I can either not sleep and go crazy or I can smoke and have a good night's sleep. And so that's what I did. But uh, I was curious about you know going to that, that very calm place, uh, someplace you know, someplace you're kind of familiar with, you being able to visualize it and all of that. I found that to be a little too similar to what you're describing. So um, I'm just wondering why would they – I, I've seen ones like this since where they're booking it as a relaxation technique or a mind over matter class, that type of you know behavioral modification, that direction, rather than saying hypnosis. I wonder what the what the difference in that is. Uh, probably because people think of hypnosis is like that thing with the fucking wristwatch and people quacking like a right. chicken and shit. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. Be. Yeah. So, yeah. Tim Banal, let's switch topics. Uh you you said that you had some Osama stuff that you wanted to get off your chest, <laughs> and I said we're not really an Osama show, but uh, but you said you could make it relevant. So let's see let's see the magic. Oh, Jesus! What people what Vanny's not telling people is that he called me on Sunday night and like frantic that Osama bin Laden had died and telling me that we should do a show about it and everything else. So that is uh, patently false. Yeah. <laughs> Someone will, you, know, you folks out there have to sort through what the truth is, but. That <laughs> that brings me to what I was talking to you about, and I've sort of pontificated about this, and I knew I'd have a venue eventually to talk about it. I just get so annoyed at these people, these truthers, who are, like, so obnoxious about all this, and who are like, oh, everyone's so stupid. Obviously, Osama bin Laden's been dead for years. This is just going to lead to another false flag terror attack. Oh, my God, everyone's so dumb. And it's like, just shut the fuck up. You listen, you read Infowars, you listen to some Alex Jones, you think you're an expert on this, and you're not. And it just drives me crazy. I'm not saying there wasn't some 9-11 conspiracy, but I don't know why they have to be such, you know, killjoys about all this. <laughs> well, I, I don't understand what the issue is with, with the timing. Um, that everybody says, well, Obama's trying to take your, your eye off the economy and, and all that. And it's like, well, when was the economy good? I mean, at any point along his journey here, he could have rolled something out to take our mind off the economy, and it would have been just as relevant then as it is now because right. the economy's been in the shit for quite a while now, folks. Um, and then to say, well, it's just all a, a trick for the re-election, you know, it's, it's like... 
you know how much mechanization has to go into that just just to get you to want to reelect him. I mean, that it just doesn't. It's not feasible, and um, and it would be the timing would be so see through that that uh, you no, would have wouldn't. to be stupid to do it that way. I mean, I just think there are some things in life that are cosmic coincidences of timing, and this just happens to be one of them. Right, right. I mean, I just don't. I haven't even really given it much thought to consider the idea that he was dead all along or any of this other shit. It's just like I. I guess, you know, you get to a place, this is really the big picture of what I'm talking about in the meta level. You get to a place where, like, there's two stories, you know? There's the mainstream story, and then there's the conspiracy story. And if you're going to ride along the conspiracy road, that's fine. But you're going to go further and further, like, way down the beaten path to the point where what's really happening in the world, as far as what everybody else in the world is seeing, like, you're completely unplugged from that. And you know something? I don't think that's a good thing. So, I mean, at some point, it's like a paradox. If if this whole 9-11 thing is true and the and the New World Order conspiracy is true, then we're essentially fucked. There's no way we can stop this thing. We're completely doomed to be slaves of some kind of corporate, you know, New World Order, whatever. I, I'm done with it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm unplugging from that, like concern, I guess you could say. I cheer for the story. If this leads to a new world order, so be it, baby. I'm excited about it. Who do you keep calling baby? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> Jeff. I'm calling it to Jeff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to be back on the show. I have a lot to say. Well, say it. What do you, what, what do you have a lot to say about? I'm telling you right now, Vaney. Jesus. <laughs> Stop pressuring me. But don't, I mean, I don't know. I, that's just how I feel. I feel like. You know, it's just frustrating to see people so worked up about this. It's like, this is a good thing. I don't see how this isn't a good thing. People are, like, saying it's a bad thing. It doesn't make any sense to me, you know? It's like, oh, this is going to lead to more false flare terror attacks and all this other crap, and you're being lied to. It's like, no shit, you were always being lied to. There's no, you know, they got the international boogeyman. How is that a bad thing? Well, it's again, lead it, comes, to something it, else. Comes, it comes back to the whole pi- picture question, you know. Uh, as Obama said, you know, if he releases the picture of Osama, then it's not going to do anything. You know, the conspiracy people are just going to say it was photoshopped or whatever. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And so he's not releasing it. And the conspiracy people are saying, "See, he said he'd release it, and he won't." But he's right. They would. He would release it, and they'd immediately just dig into it and say, "I mean." People are doing that with his freaking birth certificate. Right. So I I would, you know, as much as I'm all about a good conspiracy, I would like to slap some of those folks around sometimes and be like, you know, just wake up out of your bullshit. Right, exactly. I mean, I sound probably all worked up here and just like in a tizzy about this just because I haven't had anyone to talk about it with. But it's just, it's frustrating to watch here because, like, I get that these people are excited that they're getting, I don't know, <laughs> woken up to the truth. But at the same time, it's like, good, dude, you've been woken up to the truth. Now go beyond that and realize that if what you know is the truth is actually the truth, then it's beyond anything you can do to stop. Well, I guess maybe this is for either of you. Uh, Do you you find it odd that – or do you find that any conspiracy theory eventually ends up in some outlandish cosmic hierarchy? Like whether it's UFOs, which, you know, then there's the, the, the Illuminati, right? They're always in everything. So in this pecking order, you've got, like, corporations that control the world and then the Illuminati that control them. 
and then aliens that control the Illuminati. And it seems like like that goes, and then maybe there's angels and stuff like that, even beyond that. Like, who knows how far out that goes. But that seems to be true for even JFK, you know, assassination theory, and for 9-11. It seems like it always goes, like it always has to circle out and out and out further and further away into who really did what. Um, that it, it, They all end up back to aliens in some weird way. Do, do, have you found that? Or am I just making that up? I don't know. I've never really heard that with 9-11, that, you know, there were aliens behind it. Well, to, to J- hear that, you've, you've got to listen to Alfred Weber. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, well, I guess as far as the aliens, I don't know. I feel like the alien part comes from people who are desperate to fit the square peg into their hole anyway. Sort of like the people who, you know, got all worked up about the UFO JFK files that came on a while ago. They were like, see, this is it. This is why it ties into UFOs. It's like, dude, not everything ties into UFOs, man. Just stop. The nuclear reactor meltdown in Japan, there's going to be a UFO over it. No, it's not. Hmm. Jeff, anything to add? There will be mermaids, though, helping out Japan. <laughs> yes. So let's just get that on the table right now. <laughs> is that because of the radiation or is that the natural? Well, they, Tim, they're helping people? because they can help. And the <laughs> Japanese people just have to ask for it. And therefore, they're meant to help because they're in the water already. Do the mermaids speak Japanese? That might I be don't why know. we haven't seen them yet. Uh, Jeremy's forcing me at gunpoint to say this. I, d- I honestly don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's uh, a post from uh, one of my friends at the uh, Fairy Human Relations Congress has, <laughs> has written this, that the mermaids are just here to help. Oh, my God. I mean, my God, man. What, what won't people believe in? The question is what people won't attach the word Congress to. <laughs> <laughs> why? is there? A, oh, there's a mermaid Congress. Well, well, I'm there's sure there's a, a mermaid. Congress. I'm sure there's a well, there's a fairy Congress, but I'm sure there's a mermaid Congress as well. We certainly have a UFO Congress. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we probably have a UFO Parliament too by now. Yeah. Well, I, I can put it to you this way: I saw a, a conspiracy theory today about the banking industry that says aliens are behind the banking industry. Oh God. So, Jeremy, I think you're absolutely right. I think huh. it will always devolve into that kind of. You know, it can't be a human doing this because it's simply too heinous. <laughs> right. And there you have it. It just frustrates me. You know, I'm flummoxed in a way by the, the reaction to all this. Like I said, I cheer for the story. I feel like this is a, a fundamentally good thing. I mean, what this is the whole Bin Laden thing gotten so boring for a while. Where's this going to lead? It leads to a whole bunch of new exciting opportunities. And maybe some of them are going to be terrible for us, but so what? Things are terrible now. I don't get what people are so upset about. So what if he had been, you know, let's go with their story. So he had been dead for like, you know, the last eight years, and then they dug him up and everything, and then they brought him out. So who cares? It's over, right? The whole search for Bin Laden is over. That's good. That's a good thing. This is exciting. So who cares when they did it? He's still dead. Right, exactly. He's still dead. The whole thing's over as far as chasing after him. I mean, I'm being a complete asshole, too, like around my house, because I just keep saying the war on terror is over. It's over. I'm just jinxing everybody, so good luck to everyone out there. But I feel good. I say bring on the war with aliens. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> well, maybe that's what they're leading to. Well, I do kind of follow the occult and the symbolism and the whole things of that nature. And I do feel like if, if this was timed for some sort of thing, I have to say it must be timed for the uh, royal wedding. Just like you were saying how you can't see how it fits in politically, I don't either. The only thing that even comes close is the, the royal wedding was huge. 
Two days later, they get Bin Laden. Maybe there's some kind of turn-the-page moment in, you know, human history where, fuck, the Antichrist can emerge. That's fine with me, baby. I did it again. I don't know what's going on. Stop. I'm developing a tick here, Stop baby. Stop calling everyone baby. <laughs> you're, you're not a swinger or a grifter. <laughs> or a what? Or a grifter. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'd gladly be a grifter. Here's something I've sort of talked to both of you about a little bit, uh, more so Jeff, I guess. But yeah? I, I'm reading um, in Mirage Men by Mark Pilkington. There's this really long uh, description of how disclosure would work. Um, by a guy named, what is it, Kit Green, who's a CIA, uh, former CIA scientist. I think he was a neuro neurologist. Sure. sure. Uh, in any event, so he says, uh, all hypotheticals, of course, but if there were some sort of alien contact, um, what you would do is you would boil down what happened to a core story and if you're going to try to desensitize the public, you would do it over, say, a 20-year span. Uh, and the inform and you would do you would so you put out information through books, movies, media, and all that stuff. And it would be outlandish, fear-based nonsense. So it would be reptilian, you know, uh, hybrids here to to steal our babies and or whatever, you know, all that Me. stuff, all the yeah. stuff that's out there, the Serpo stuff, all that stuff. So that. When you finally did the big revelation, uh, people would have heard of it, and they would go, yeah, I kind of figured there had to be aliens, but I knew it wasn't any of that that nonsense with the reptilians and, and all of that. So this makes sense to me. And then they'd be fine with it. And that, that type of desensitization is a uh, tried-and-true, well-worn, tested path. It's been done many times. And this struck a chord with me because... I never thought about it that way. My thinking was always like, well, gee, if they're doing um, a campaign to wake people up, why why is it all this fearful, nonsensical stuff? Well, that's the reason. Uh, so does does that do anything for either of you? I mean, does that make you rethink this whole, gee, maybe they do have something that they could disclose. Maybe they are desensitizing us. Yeah, it's possible, I guess. Yeah. I do think there's some kind of campaign underway, but... I always sort of stumble upon the problem of if there's a campaign for disclosure, I don't see what the how they could disclose. I feel like it's uh, too complex for them to reveal to us. Well, so what, if are you, anything, what are you saying that the, the core story is? Is basically like, yeah, some beings came here. They they left some technology. We tried to fly it. We couldn't. We crashed one of their ships. We have three of them. And we don't know what to do with it because it involves physics that we don't understand. I mean, yeah, to that me, would. that seems completely plausible. You know, if I were right. to believe in aliens, that would be completely plausible to me. There's no handshake deal. There's no nothing. There's just, okay, just that. See, now, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I don't see why. I, I, now I'm lost on what the question was again. Sorry. Well, the question the question is, I mean, at least Jeff and I have been so adamant that, that A, there aren't aliens. <laughs> and so, therefore, B, there's nothing to disclose. And I know that you have said that you're completely sick of or whatever the the disclosure movement yeah um and that you know we've all said that the, the big thing to disclose is that the government doesn't know anything they know far less than than what they're telling us well this sort of encompasses all of that doesn't it it seems that way it seems when did this guy write this stuff though well this was a conversation he had i mean this book just oh. came out in i think 2010 oh all right okay 
Yeah, I mean, if that's the story, then I would I would tend to believe that sort of thing. It's much less again, like like exactly like this guy just said, you know, it's much less outlandish than what we've been told already. So it would seem plausible. Yeah, it would be kind of disappointing though. I don't even know if the aliens were coming back or anything. Right. I'd be kind of pissed if they were like, yeah, they crashed here, never seen them again. All that abduction stuff, that has nothing to do with this. Well, that, that's the thing that gets me is, like, why – then what do you do uh, with that information as the American people? Like, you go, oh, okay, great. Uh, so now we've forever got this hanging over our heads that there are aliens and they could come back at any time and we don't know anything about them and we can't figure out their technology. Right. So there had to be more to the story. There had to be, like – I feel like there would have to be some uh, – What you know, what would that lead to? We need to go out there and find them? <laughs> you know, we need to pour all our resources into getting the fuck off this planet? Because, like, there's other people out there, and they're going to get all the resources before we do. <laughs> I could actually see America getting behind that attitude. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're telling me there's people out there, and they're, they're on Mars, and we got to get out there to Mars and the moon. Okay? They're beating us to the punch. <laughs> hmm. Jeff. Yeah. I think I found our new uh, platform here. Jeff, what say you? Uh, uh, what was the question again? The question is, does it change your mind? (laughs) (laughs) Does it change my mind? Uh, No. No, because I, you know, we we talked about this for, what, four hours last night? Uh, (laughs) uh, No, it doesn't change my mind. I think anything that uh, is out there that, that we're seeing that they're denying has no relevance in anything. You know, I've seen everything in this field from... Uh, researchers who get kind of brought in on a hook uh, from someone that they, they they're pretty sure or have been told outright is associated with the cover up, and they're being fed good data to slowly release to the public. And that researcher will go ahead and release some good cases, some really anomalous stuff. And one day they'll be put onto a case, and you know it's it's a it becomes a toxic relationship because at that point they will try to destroy your credibility in due time just to negate everything that you've done bef- you know, before that. Uh, and so uh, I've seen that time after time with different people getting involved with different folks and, and ultimately it ends up badly because they're put onto a case and they get left holding the bag for it. Um, so that happens. And then you've got this whole thing of alien technology and uh, we don't know how to work it and uh, and all of that. It just, just seems so completely absurd to me. Um, but that's strictly my opinion. I just think that's completely absurd. If something evolves completely independent of Earth, therefore no semblance of anything Earth-based, nothing. Think about that for a while because that takes a while to sink in. Uh, no influence from Earth whatsoever and you start thinking about alien technology, it would be little more than something that you would just look at and go, what, what the fuck even is it? I don't even know what it is. I'm not getting in it. I don't know what it is. So I, I don't find that particularly compelling. And I uh, I think the, the end result is that, as I told you last night, Jeremy, I think you could come out and say, we have extraterrestrial peoples who have visited this planet. Are they here now? We don't know. Uh, clearly they can appear and leave with impunity because there's nothing that we can do about it. That becomes a problem 
but I think if it's put to the people that uh, this is not a threatening presence, this is a benign presence, and we know this, we certainly don't want to piss them off, but ultimately they're not going to hurt us. Um, we have to coexist with them. Like, well, like correct, animals. correct. I mean we don't even have to necessarily coexist. We could just easily say we know there's something here. We know that they come from another planet. We have been contacted by them. They don't wish to interfere in our lives. It's a possibility they might give us Stuff. perhaps some technology that they would make for us in order to help the environment. Maybe. Who knows? That all seems a little bit too human-based of a thought process as what they would be here for. Um, but let's just say hypothetically that that might happen. Now let's go to the other side of the coin. Uh we have a presence on this planet that surrounds us at all times. You cannot perceive it unless it wants to be perceived by recognizing the phenomena uh, or this other. Uh, it has the ability to enter our reality, and there are things that uh, they can do that that we don't want to do. <laughs> uh, and so you've either got and, – and, and here's the other part. We have a really good suspicion that they have to do with – what happens after we die because the dead are often seen with these people and many experiences of the, that have now been verified, et cetera, et cetera. What's more uncomfortable, the, the dismemberment of your entire reality? I mean I hate to say it, but extraterrestrials would fit well into my reality box if that were to come out. It would be hard to take. It would be confusing. It would be amazing uh, but a little scary. Now I'll take it from the other side of the coin and say that these things are around us all the time and always have been, that they influence world events, that they influence people. What does that say? I mean that's tearing down your entire sense of what real means and what we are and what we don't know that surrounds us all the time. Uh, I think that that is the bigger problem. Uh, that this is far deeper than they even realize. And to admit something like that is tantamount to just, you might as well just throw up your hands and say, what for anything? What for? <laughs> I don't see that happening. Um, well, know. they could go with the first part and, you know, it'd be left to people like us and people in the UFO community and the paranormal community to, they'll, they'll have their cause du jour, you know, that it's really this. It's not just that aliens are coming here, that it's right. The other part. Yeah. I mean, what if, it is, not what, what if it's something away. that strange is kind of what I'm getting at? What if it's something so completely outside the box that um, that we even have a hard time making sense of it at all? I mean, I'm ETs sure are something you can get your head around to a certain degree. But, but again, you can't kid yourself that contact with an extraterrestrial would be extraordinarily weird. I mean, it would be. But uh, there's one thing with we're here and they're over there and they're not going to bother us versus there's another tenant in the building. <laughs> okay, so that that's kind of like how I look at that. Well, I'm sure the whole thing would be really stage managed as it is, so hmm? I think I think they wouldn't even go there. Yeah. You know what I mean? They so that's part of why I don't worry about disclosure in a way. Hmm? Like they're not going <laughs> to if they want to freak us out, they'll freak us out. It's it's another one of those sort of things. It's like out of your hands in a way. 
It's like, well, I'm, I'm hoping something happens, really. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to be one of those, like, Steve Bassett types or, or Alfred <laughs> Weber types. And I don't mean this in a pejorative way. I mean, like, you know, people who are like, rah-rah disclosure, we want it to happen. We're going to make it happen. I'm not right. going to make anything happen. Um, but if it happens, that would be awesome. I think we can all agree on that. Well, I mean, look at it this way, Tim. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Uh, from from the very get-go of the cover-up, uh, meme that that runs through all of this stuff. Uh, the the prevailing theory is the government knows and they won't tell us. And don't you think that that's really short sighted in the sense that if this cover up, if it exists, would be over tomorrow, if the others would just reveal themselves, there'd be nothing that could stop that. And so, who's really holding the keys to the cover up here, the government or them? That's true, because like. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's the absurdity to me is you people don't get it. You're protesting the wrong people. But right. but unfortunately, we can't go to uh, wherever this thing exists and say, we demand that you show yourself. <laughs> you know, you can't protest that. You can't go picket that line. Um, but that's the facts. I mean, if it wanted to be over, it would be over tomorrow. End of story. Nothing's going to stop us. You're not going to stop us. The government is irrelevant. Uh, so... What's to stop us? We could do this tomorrow. So that makes me think the genesis of the cover-up is them, <laughs> not us, not humans. Right, right. You know? And they probably realize kind of what you're saying in the sense about the – I take it you're sort of saying an interdimensional sense when you say the dark, darker side of the coin or whatever. Well, uh, whatever that means. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I use interdimensional as an umbrella, but you know what I mean. And it's like they probably think that we just couldn't even comprehend the true fabric of what this is all about. Right. You know what I mean? So they're like, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, is know. it is it the old adage of, you know, like flatland. Can you explain uh quantum physics to an ant? I mean, we we could take that route and say that's why they're not showing up because we're not worth talking to. Right, exactly. You know, they're simply observing evolution that may have happened in their past history. You know, again, there you are. We we are uh, just about incapable of conceiving of any life form that, that is evolved completely independent of this planet. Immediately, we want to take the Stanton Friedman route and say, well, I think they wouldn't show up because X. We, we, we don't know why. There may be no why. They may just not. Um, so how can, you, how can you even guess? I mean, I'll put it to you that way. And there's been theory upon theory built upon what would be the behavior of an alien race coming here when, in fact, all of those are absurdly ridiculous because – you're talking about something that has had absolutely no contact or influence or anything to do with the culture that's evolved here on planet Earth. Yeah, unless they created it on their own, like you were saying about how they mm -hmm. influence world events and everything. Right, <laughs> right. You know, then they're the ultimate puppet masters. Then they're, you know, well, they're the Jacob to our lost. And, and therein lies the, uh, the scary part, <laughs> you know. Therein lies the scary part. You only think you have free will. Actually, you're being subliminally, uh, you know, told to, uh, you know, get up island. and go to work or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily believe that. I'm just saying, what if no, they I have? Know. What if they have more to do with chance and uh, and coincidence and all of that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what if they are the architects of reality and we? There's just nothing we can do about it. We're stuck here with them. Um, you know that that I think would be a lot harder to swallow. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, be fun to watch though. Yeah, 
Vaney, where are you at? I'm just listening. I had a question for Vaney. Do you think that there's colors? This is going to sound like such a stoner question, but this isn't. I'm totally on the level here, folks. Do you think there's colors that we haven't been able to see or we can't see? Like, do you think there's colors that have yet to be discovered that maybe aliens or some other race of people can see? How would I? How would I answer that? <laughs> The speculative that, question. I, you know. Do, well, I mean, do I think there are other colors? Think that, about that it. That are for not a derived of I red, guess and our, orange, green, and blue, shining yellow, purple, too. Right, right, right. Um, Obviously, the question can be applied to Jeff, too. I'm just trying to rope Vanny into this. I don't know. I mean, when I did the shroom trip, I think if, if at any point I was going to see something uh, of a different color, that would be it. You know, that would be the time. Um, and I didn't. So, it's hard to even conceive of, but I just wonder that sometimes, you know? Well, I don't know. I mean, would we collapse it down into our own colors? I don't know. Would it be invisible to us, or would it just be or would it be a new color? I don't know. Maybe it's invisible to us now, and then it would be, somehow we'd be able to see it. Say you put on a pair of glasses or some shit. Wait, how is like. that not a stoner question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. I, it somehow came out of something we've talked about before. I forget now. Something about interdimensionalness and shit. I don't know. It's interesting. Can we? Ex- how far can we extrapolate based on Earth experience? I mean, certainly we know that there are different shapes <laughs> to everything, uh, different sizes to everything, but the colors remain the same. Um, emotional characteristics remain the same. So I, I don't know. I mean, I would even be tempted to say that that there aren't even other emotions that we can't fathom, you know? That's interesting, yeah. I never thought of taking it in that direction, but yeah. But then this gets to the whole, you know, my own shtick of universal consciousness or oneness or whatever. Well, it even gets into the the fact that you don't need, you don't need extra stuff. I mean, everything is simple, really. <laughs> like, everything is built from a, a couple of building blocks, you know? That's true. A couple of things make everything, which I find fascinating. So I don't know why it would need to be different anywhere else. But then again, maybe it just is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there must be something. If if, if what we're thinking about um, this phenomenon is correct in any way, then there, there must be some reason that they can't exist here for very long. There must be something, well, just the fact that they're in another dimension, right? That we're divided in some by some invisible barrier, Uh implies that they're made of different things, right? Than we are. Yeah. I wonder if, if, say, you were able to pierce the veil, would you see, again, would you see colors that you recognize? Would it break down into things that you recognize, or would it be uh, so completely different that um, that you couldn't comprehend it? I don't know. I tend to think that we would filter it through our own filters and, and be able to see um, a warped image that made sense to us. That's probably true, yeah. Let's see what you're saying there, yeah. I mean, as far as color goes, what about um, – I mean, think about when computers first came out. I mean, we had 256 colors. Now we're into 16 million and more. And so the computer is able to perceive more colors based on intensity and variance and all of that. Oh, interesting, yeah. So what if you take it the other way and say uh, what colors we're able to perceive through – the brain through the optical nerve, or even if you're 
not in your right mind and you're seeing colors in your head or what have you, what about the different variations in, uh, in intensity? In other words, could purple become so intense that you couldn't see it anymore? Um, or you couldn't stand to look at it. I mean, could it become that intense? So think about the most intense color purple that you've ever seen. And now imagine that doll being turned up to 40 and then 100 and then 300. And how purple can purple get? <laughs> That's an interesting thought, right? I mean, until it burns you. Till it, exactly, until you fry. Um, so, I, I mean, I would think of it in, in layers of, of intensity and, uh, and pigment depth, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right in that regard. Because when you said the thing about the computers, then I thought about like, there's like lists you can do, or like if you're building something, you're making, creating something on the internet, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can choose the color. And the options are like endless. Oh, and yeah. And like the further you get, you're like, like, I didn't even know there was yellow chicken scratch. But it's like a completely <laughs> weird, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a sunset on a <laughs> on a farm. I mean, I would like encourage that. anyone who's really interested in color to just go look at Al Lemberg's site. And what? <laughs> Love you, Al. Hi. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but those are still variants of the same colors. And you're That's asking, correct. is yeah. there a different color? That's true, yeah, yeah. I don't know how that question came to me, but it, it's, you know, I guess it, if you think about it, it's sort of like we kind of need to have this new, this new thing going on. A hmm. <laughs> new color. What about smells? <laughs> You that's know? interesting because I, I bet it, that's hard to gauge because it's like I bet you you've seen just about every possible color, you know, barring yellow chicken scratch. But, you know, you've seen the basic colors, you know, but there's probably shit you've never smelled before. If you went to like Russia or Thailand or something, you'd smell something that you've yeah. never smelled before. So, I mean, there's probably like billions of smells that we don't even we mm-hmm. can't even fathom. Yeah. I mean, look at look at the limited sense of taste. I mean, you eat a chicken, it tastes like chicken. You eat frog, it tastes like chicken. You eat a uh, snake, guess what? Tastes like chicken. So, how reliable is that sense? I mean, again, it's all being filtered through the brain and and and, uh, and, and through a nervous system that is kind of limited. You know, I mean, by and large, we're kind of blind in that sense in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> well Tim what else you got anything I'm a little disappointed you didn't have really a big response to my Bin Laden rant I thought you'd uh other than mock my babies um what should my what response did you think <laughs> I would have <laughs> I just I don't know I just I'm I with just you wish, I just wish people would lighten up that's all I don't mean you I'm just saying you know these truthers and shit it's just like, come on, man. Yeah, this is a good thing. You have one good day, <laughs> right? Exactly. Really? Yeah. It goes back to that. It's like, do you, do you? It's like those people, you know. It's like, do you live your life in perpetual fucking anger? Like, if this doesn't make you a happy person, then what's the fucking point of living, man? Uh, well, babe, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I changed the demand, so. Um, I don't. I don't derive any pleasure from seeing him die. Uh, in fact, I think it's disgusting, the sort of bloodlust, you know, people in the streets cheering and all that nonsense. But the cheering makes me happy, not not what they're <laughs> cheering for. <laughs> so you just want cheering. You just want people to cheer. I, I, like the, I, like the, I like the national jubilation, regardless of what it's over. You know, it goes to like the royal wedding, too. Don't you love a good parade? 
Oh, <laughs> no pun intended. No, no, I don't. I guess oh, wow. I guess I disagree in, in some way. <laughs> I mean, I no, I don't care about uh, royal wedding. I uh, no, I'll buy humbug that. <laughs> no, I, I don't care about nonsense. You know, like I, I like these these sorts of. I get what you're saying. Like, yes, it, it's great when there's unity uh, and when people feel good. But what is it over? You know, if it's over frivolous shit or if it's over death uh, or revenge, then then I'm not down with that. On the other hand, I'm not down with the people who are just throwing out uh, conspiracy theories because they can't be happy in life. I mean, I'm going to have my cake and eat it, too, on this one, I think. No, I see your point of view. No, I see your point of view. But like I said, uh, I'm really just the unity part, like what you talked about, and the jubilation. I mean, it's fucked up that, you know, the whole story is fucked up, how it all came, you know, came around 10 years later, and we found this guy, and we killed him, and everyone, like, celebrated. It's weird. I mean, but I feel like I, I feel like being in this field for so long, and I don't know, maybe you guys can speak to this, it's just like you feel... You do still feel detached from the mainstream, but I like to keep one foot in the mainstream, which is what I'm sort of decrying of the truthers in a way, where it's like they're so far out of the mainstream, they have both feet in the in the truth community. They don't care that they made an 18 movie. You know? They have no <laughs> thoughts on it. <laughs> Nor should they. <laughs> but you know what I mean. They're just like... Yeah, they're so wrapped up in the one issue that, that they're a one-note, one-trick pony. Uh, I know, yeah, I mean, I know these guys. And, tunnel vision. Yeah, tunnel a lot vision. of them are like that. Yeah. Uh, I guess what bothers me is that you've got all of these different 9-11 conspiracy theories, and some are completely outlandish, and yet they're all welcome. As long as it's not the, the mainstream story, your your theory is welcome here. And I think that bothers me, because that, I mean, that smacks of the problems of ufology, really, which which are that, you know, aren't we all in this together? Well, no, we're not all in this together. Some of you uh, are completely batshit crazy. <laughs> and some of you are just full of shit. Uh, and so, no, we're not all in this together just because we're all interested in the same topic. Right, right. Well, that whole community's fucked up anyway. Like I said, it goes back to the whole idea that, like, if they're on, if they're completely right, then there's no point in, then go out and enjoy the day. Because you, you ain't going to do anything about it, man. Like, you're wasting your life to try to fight this thing if it's this massive. I feel for these people in a way, you know? And the annoying part is to be it, – it, it comes around really, you know, to see these posts on message boards and on Facebook and on websites where it's like it comes around to them calling me stupid somehow. Do you know what I mean? Not me personally, but people who, you know, were happy about what happened or – People are calling people in general stupid, I guess, too. Yeah, like, like they're not in the know, like they're sheeple right. and all that stuff, right? Right. It's like, hey, dude, there's some of us who are in the know, and we've been in the know so long that we don't care anymore. Like, I was mainstream for a while, and then then I got woken up to what this, you know, to all this paranormal esoteric stuff. And now I'm so awash in it that, you know, I'm kind of swaying back to the other side in the sense that it's like, you, if you get down the rabbit hole, that's great, but... There's no end to that whole thing. And eventually your worldview gets completely messed up. Well, don't, don't you think that's got to do a lot with our culture today in that just like – I mean, Tim, I know you're a baseball fan and so am I. Um, I didn't know that. But, yeah. But, but you didn't like sports. Well, I like baseball. You do? Okay. Yeah, I like to watch baseball. All right. Um, 
I mean, but I'm not a rabid follower. Could you it's put Jeff like, Ritzman you know. back on the phone, please? <laughs> yeah, this is weird. <laughs> All right, you know. go on. Yeah, you and take... I like bowling. I like to watch bowling, too, and wow. golf sometimes. Nobody likes to watch bowling, but I do. Um, but it's not like I sit there on the edge of my seat with all my friends drinking beer and eating popcorn and chips and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, then I'm not that guy. Um, but you look at that and, and I remember when the Ravens won the Super Bowl, and I remember people in the street shouting, we won, we won. And I'm thinking, you didn't win anything. <laughs> a bunch of millionaires um, won a game. You didn't win anything. It, it, it did nothing for you whatsoever, but yet everyone was, was united in that. And so you see this, you know, take that thing and overlay that on top of the whole bin Laden death and all of that. And people, uh, you know, jumping up and down the streets, like they, you know, like they've won a million dollars. I can understand that people would be somewhat relieved that, you know, the alleged mastermind in not 11 is no longer with us. I can understand that people would be, uh, relieved and perhaps joyful in some sense over that, I can get that. But I think the overstatement of that is um, what you see in sports. It's that I can't live my own life, so I have to live vicariously through a military operation or a football team or patriotism or whatever. Um, I'm not saying you know that that's if that's what you want to do, that's great. And and if you feel a sense of community with that, fine. But that can be taken to gross levels to where, okay, what, what, you know, we got him, you know, people carrying signs, we got him. No, you didn't get him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some highly trained military operatives that I'm dead, damn glad do their job well um, got him. You didn't do anything. Um, all you did was pay your taxes to buy some fat weapons uh, <laughs> yeah, so that exactly. those guys like can go do what they point. do. And that's good. I mean, that's for me. Okay, that's fine. This is the way of the world. You can't fight it, right? So these people are living vicariously uh, through reality TV and sports and the war and conspiracy theories and all of that. And even, yes, in paranormal circles, they live vicariously through the phenomena or what they think the phenomena is. And they attach a meaning to that and therefore that becomes their personal issue and their personal badge. Right. And that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's what the sad state of our, our culture is in. I mean to me, that's, that's how I'm, I'm looking at all of this stuff. Uh, Plus I think one thing that the media hasn't mentioned at all, which I think that you know, they, they – I don't know if they just wouldn't acknowledge it because they think it would be silly or what. But let's face it. I – a lot of those crowds were like kids that were like 19, 20 years old. Like they, right. were, they were just looking for an excuse to go out and get drunk and at like 11 at yeah. night and scream and yell in the streets when you're definitely not going to get arrested. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, hell, that sounds like a good time. And if I, you know, if it was near me, I would have gone down, you know. But it's like, you know, that's really what was going on. It was, barely had anything to do with this guy dying. It turned into like this just drunken party of, of, of yeah. stupid college kids. Yeah, it's like a riot. I mean, not everybody who exactly. uh, who goes at to riot and throw stuff in the streets and, and hit cops with rocks is behind the cause. <laughs> you know, they're just doing it to do it, you know, because everybody else is doing it. And Right, uh, right. So, and, I and, mean, and, and, you yeah. know, and they become part of that. That that movement, they become part of that thing somehow vicariously. They're living through whatever this meaning is to to justify their own behavior. But uh, yeah, you know. So you know, I I kind of like looked at a lot of that like chanting and 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 everything where it was just like it really was sort of soccer hooliganism more than 
more than, you know, national pride over having accomplished this goal as morose right. as the goal was, you know, but then you, you talk to other people who are sort of older, you know, and it's frightening as it sounds. That's where, I, that's where I am, even though I would have liked to have been at the, at the, uh, you know, at the big celebrations with a lot of drunk college girls and stuff. I unfortunately would not within distance <laughs> to take yeah. part in those kind of yeah. events. You know, when we talk to people who are older, they sort of had more of a dignified pride in the event, as mm-hmm. I saw it, sort of like that we did accomplish this, even though it was like sort of this morose goal that was thrust upon us. Well, yeah, right. there is definitely the sigh of relief. You know, he has been sure. the poster child for the boogeyman for almost a decade now. So yeah. to, to, get, think- to get that guy uh, in whatever way, shape, or form is you do feel a relief inside. And you do feel like, wow. Thank goodness it was this president, not the last one, almost. You know? <laughs> yes, I well, felt that. Well, and on yeah. some level, don't you think that it's, you know, there is so much injustice going on in this world and, and so many things that don't get resolved, and finally mm-hmm. we have an injustice that's resolved, and I think that's reason to be happy. I mean, uh, definitely, but, uh, yeah, you know. But, it, then, it, but then we're going to wake up tomorrow and realize that nothing was resolved because they're – Already the media spin is that we – well, we need to stay. We can't just pull out because right. al-Qaeda right. wasn't the problem. The, the, the guys on the ground in Afghanistan will tell you al-Qaeda hasn't been the problem in years. Right. Yeah, it's like, wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> well, I mean I'll, ultimately if you want to get in the streets and cheer over, over something, I'll go cheer with everybody else when all our guys and gals get back in this country and put their boots here. Um, that's, that's when you start cheering. <laughs> you know, until then, you know. Absolutely, a little progress yeah. is fine, but I want I want everybody back here, namely, um, you know, uh, all these service people. But let's not forget contractors who are over there that are, you know, yeah, they're doing a job and they're getting paid, but they're still in, they're uh, in more danger. Probably they're 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 in danger too, you know. And um, you know, and my nephew's over there, and there's a couple of friends over there, and I want them back home. So uh, that's when people should be really going berserk and cheering and all of that. Right, right. Well, I've been hoping that this would serve as an impetus for them to end the war, but it seems like <laughs> yeah. it's going to, which no, is ridiculous. But that might change, you know. These watershed moments have the opportunity to change things, even though the cynical people who are like, it's all a stage event, say it'll ne- nothing will change, and even I've said nothing will change, you know. I hold out hope that something will change. Yeah, but I'm I mean, I, I, I don't know how, again, I don't know why, uh, what anyone would base this staged event on. I mean, what would the timing be for the staged event? Why wait till now to pull out the staged event right. for an election? I mean, that just doesn't make sense for the economy. That doesn't make sense. And with the know. news cycle, the prevailing theory like is the, the prevailing theory is the birth certificate. <laughs> Ridiculous. Exactly. That's the prevailing. I think that's the prevailing conspiracy is the birth certificate comes out. And what, how many days later we have bin Laden? Yeah. But so what? Like he's going <laughs> to, I mean, my thinking is that Obama is going to win the election no matter what. I hope. Yeah. So he didn't need he didn't need Bin Laden for that. No. <laughs> no. Um, but I don't know. In any event, Paratopia, Jeff Ritzman, Tim, and all, we've come to the end of our road together. Tim, why don't you let us know what's going on in your life and where we can check you out and get to know more about you? Oh, that's so nice. Um, check out the website banalofamerica.com b i n n a l l of america.com of course the show is boa audio uh we're in a topsy turvy season if you will right now we're trying to get all the problems that the show has accumulated technical wise over the last couple of years straightened out this season and financial wise too so you know this is kind of a bridge season for us to make sure the 
program can continue onward for, you know, several seasons. If we didn't straighten all this stuff out, it would come to a grinding halt just from lack of maintenance. So it's been kind of a rough season, but a great season for content, I think, because we've been covering a lot of weird sort of peripheral paranormal topics and stuff that are sort of on the edge of the paranormal and veering away from the big uh, tentpole topics like UFOs and conspiracy theory and Bigfoot and stuff. And uh, I'm also doing a movie with your buddy Paul Kimball. Yes. Yeah, and it's called Beyond Best Evidence, the UFO Enigma, and we're crowdsourcing it, trying to get uh, donations to at least put a dent in the funding of this film. So folks can check out Indiegogo.com slash UFO or go to Banal of America and click the uh, Beyond Best Evidence UFO Enigma button. And, uh, you know, at least it'll be a film. It will be a film, uh, you know, that's away from the prying hands and eyes of, you know, the television networks and stuff like that. We're going to try and make it independent of all that and then then get it on TV. We'll see how that goes. It most certainly will. (laughs) And we also have the Good Parade. You can find out about that at Banal of America as well. That's the comedy show Vanny and I have. And Fair thank enough. you, Jeff, for agreeing to joint custody of Vanny as a, a podcasting guy. Oh, it's okay. I'm well aware he's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured you're happy to have to, have to deal with half the maintenance of Vanny. So. That's true, yes. He, he is high maintenance. Just <laughs> oh, somebody please oh, watch don't my back. So, yeah, banallofamerica.com. Check it out. Uh, there's probably links to the Paratopia site. And uh, it's been great being back on the show. I've had a ton of laughs. I wish I could talk for like another hour, but you guys have stuff to do, so I understand. But I've enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> Thank you for letting me. What are you laughing about? I don't know. You sound like we, like, like we were kicking you off and you don't want to go or something. <laughs> so. No, no. We're going to do it again sometime, though. But, yeah, thanks for letting me sort of go off in a whole bunch of different directions and I feel like we had to talk about this thing. I don't, you know, I know you guys don't usually do this sort of topic, but it was a watershed moment uh, that needed to be discussed, baby. <laughs> I threw that last one in on purpose. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, for bringing us the watershed moment coverage. Coverage, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Banal, Tim Banal, Banal of America. Check him out. That's my broadcaster voice. Nice. And we'll be back after these brief non-messages. This is Stanton Friedman, and you're listening to Paratopia. So the Jeff. So the Jer. I take my catchphrase seriously. I can tell. <laughs> uh, so, Tim Banal, eh? Tim Banal. Always good to talk to Tim. Yes, yes. A fountain of knowledge and questions. Yeah. And color. Lots of colors. Even the ones we can't perceive. <laughs> That's right. But really, Jeff, really what did I want to talk about in this after chat? Because it's all about me. Okay. I wanted to talk about you. Oh, no. <laughs> That's right. Really? Uh, yes. No forewarning at all? Well, <laughs> you're now warned. <laughs> uh, thanks. Okay. You what told now? me some things this week that I thought were absolutely amazing. And once again, I find myself in a situation with you where one of us always does this, where it's like, well, I didn't want to tell you because I thought you'd think it was too weird. And then it's like, no, that's actually exactly the opposite of weird. That's actually uh, awesome. 
<laughs> that actually okay. adds to the knowledge base of of everything we've been talking about. All right. So the first thing, uh, if you're willing to talk about these publicly, uh-huh. is uh, the rest of what happened when the uh, guy in the walk hat came into your room at age, I guess, nine. Yeah. Clapped and you heard a gong and you fell back in your pillow. <laughs> yeah. There's a missing element of that, which is probably the most important element of it. Yeah. What's that element, Jeff Fritzman? Well. <laughs> and why did you keep it from us? Well, well, and let me let me put this out there that I really it wasn't keeping anything. I think it was more just uh, trying to make sense of it without sounding uh, dumb or trying to put some kind of weird spin on it because that is a or was a very uh, pinnacle event for me uh, with all this stuff. Um, should I go from the get go? Yeah, in case people, you know. Because I'm not sure how many of our listeners were actually privy to all that early stuff or not. Yeah, but, you might as well set it up in case people haven't heard what the guy in the walk hat is. Yeah, well, the lead up to that is, um, you know, if you listen to some of these older podcasts that we did, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but for everybody who's become a subscriber or has discovered us in the past year, um, the short of it is when I was about five years old, I would get put to bed like any kid. You know, that age. Um, And rather than going to bed, as most kids will will do, if you have kids this age, you know that they never go to bed when you tell them to go to bed. They usually stay up and sneak or they lay awake and listen to what's going on in the other room. And that's pretty much what I did. Uh, My room, uh, the configuration so you can get a mental picture is I had a bed against a middle wall. I had a door, if I'm laying in the bed, I had a door to my right and I had a window to my left. In front of me was the closet. And um, through you know the bedroom door, you would always see a nightlight in the bathroom, which was literally go around the corner from my bedroom and there it was to the right. And, um, and then the dining room further down the hallway into the living room, so on and so forth. And you could always get some indirect lighting. And um, – I can't be honest and say I know exactly the age that it started, but I I think I remember the very first time that I saw um, this weird thing, and this is a weird thing. And so we often talk about – to talk about this stuff with absolute honesty is to be thought a fool. Well, here's where you think I'm a fool. Uh, I would sit there in bed. I remember one night in particular sitting up. I was playing with some action figures in bed. And um, just goofing around, talking to myself, what kids do. And I started to see a little white dot that was squarely in the center of my vision. And the white dot grew in size. Uh, I panicked a little bit, but I, I, didn't, um, I didn't run for mom or anything like that. If I shut my eyes, I saw it. If I opened my eyes, I saw it. And it was vivid and crisp and very, very there. I think this was a perceptual event. I don't actually think there was something in my room at that point. As the white dot grew larger, I could see that it was a perfect square, even on all sides, and it was spinning. And uh, it spun faster the closer it got to me, and it got closer and closer. It grew larger and larger and larger in vision until the point where um, – I don't remember how that point of it ended. I don't remember uh, – I call it a whiteout because eventually it encompassed everything. 
and it was not an overlay. It was completely vector and solid. I would wake up sometime later in my bed or what I think was my bed. Uh, the room completely black, no light from the living room, bathroom, window, nothing. Imagine waking up in your bed with a light over top of you that is blue. And it is the purest sense of blue that you can imagine. It was very, very intense, but it was also like a process mixed with um, a very deep violety blue. It, 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 indescribable, but it was so intense that you could literally see particles of dust falling in the air. And uh, no matter what color the sheets were on the bed, whether they be white, green, yellow, a print, when I woke up, whether there was a comforter or not, or anything like that, or a blanket, or anything, uh, I had a single, rather cold, black sheet pulled down over the sides of the bed, tucked in under the mattress, or at least it felt like that, because they were tight, uh, up to my waist, pillow behind me, clearly, because I was on it, my head was on it, uh, largely unable to move. And uh, I could move my eyes. I could see about the room. I saw no window. I saw no door. Nor did I hear my dad snoring. Unbelievable terror. I mean horrible. Uh, unable to scream. Screams came out more like whispers. Most times that would happen and I would not know how it would end. I felt a sense of presence in the room. Now – at that point, I'm thinking to myself, am I dreaming? Uh, am I not? And I, if that, if that was all there is, I could definitely blow that off to some kind of sleep paralysis because I've heard such things described that way. However, there were variables in that. And one of the variables was that one night uh, I resigned myself when I started to see the square coming that I was going to wake up in that familiar now black bed and be able to move and be able to recognize whether or not I was sleeping. And so one night, there it is. I wake up, I'm in the bed, and I can move. I can move my entire upper body, but I cannot move my legs and I cannot scream. Uh, I Again, no window, no door, just blackness and this light sort of canceling out anything outside of that light. And I sat up and I grabbed the sheets and I actually physically pulled them up to my face. And I said, these sheets are black and I am not asleep. Um, it was cold. I mean, I remember it being cold. And I remember uh, whether or not it was, it was that exact time or not, I remember that there was another time where I could move um, parts of myself, but certainly not my legs. And I remember seeing uh, a pair of hands coming into the light that had very long fingers and um, and they had black nails. Now, whether or not the nails were actually black or not or whether that was an effect of the light, I don't know. I think about that a lot. Um, again, don't know how it ended. I just wake up in the morning and it's over. But When you wake in, up, are you dead tired or are you normal? Uh, tired, yeah. Yeah, I would I – would, yes, I was tired a lot. Um, and uh, – 
and there were other th- other factors in that where I would hear whispering, unintelligible whispering of at least four or five people uh, around me, and sometimes more, uh, but unintelligible. But it was always whispering, and it was not chant like it was as if they were ten different conversations going on. Whether that was audible or not, I don't know. Um, there were times where I saw, um, for lack of a better description, like rusty pipes, um, just off the side of the bed. I mean, just off the foot where I could barely see them because this light was so intense. Um, another time I actually turned around and saw the source of the light and it looked like, um, a very small, I would say maybe double the size of a silver dollar, uh, blue and white. And, uh, it seemed to have a, a shine to it, almost like a flashlight, but not quite. Something was strange about it, but I actually saw the source of the light and it was literally as if someone had hooked a light onto the bed frame, the, the, the you know, the, the headboard. It was right in that position, the top of the headboard. So um, variables of that, there were other things too, which, you know, in the interest of time, let's save that. But um, there were other things that happened with that. And that event, that particular scenario, if you just want to pick a an even night, happened every night from the ages of five till I was nine years old. Every single night without fail. Um, and there was a lot of weirdness that, that also kind of coincided with that. One day I was taken out of the bed, um, and I could actually see the doorway. Um, I, I actually, um, I, I came into realization of where I was literally at the foot of my bed and someone was there, someone who was very short, (laughs) And someone who clearly didn't walk but glided. And they put me on their shoulders and started down the hallway and went to go out the kitchen door. And the dog woke up and growled. And so we, you know, just like uh, uh, I think about it nowadays and I just saw the Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny's walking towards the door and Elmer Fudd steps in the way with a hatchet and he just does a 180 like without stopping <laughs> a beat. That's exactly how this was. It's like, up, oh, dog. And hard left and out the front door. I mean, it was stuff like that. I remember going down the hallway vividly. I remember this so vividly I can't tell you that I was going down the hallway with this – here's this head and it's like I'm piggybacked on this thing and it's gliding. I mean there is no footstep whatsoever. It is pure glide. And I put my hands down in front of the face and it bit me. It bit my fingers. And it was like uh, someone biting your fingers with a mouth guard in, like no teeth, just like flat, smooth, but strong gum. Uh, and that's it, which was a little weird. Uh, so all of, things like that happened every night. Most times, I would say the majority of times, it was just the blue light, the black sheets, the spinning white square and the intelligible whispers. That was a lot of the time. But there were those variables thrown in uh, intermittently. Nine years old, I have a birthday party. Uh, great time. 
uh, mom put me to bed and, um, uh, I stayed up kind of like, you know, too excited to sleep. It was too early to go to bed. I wasn't tired. I was hopped up on cake, right? So I'm laying there, I'm playing with some toys that I got for my birthday and, um, uh, and my mom and dad go to bed. I, I lay there, you know, I'm listening to them talk in the other room and the TV is off in the living room. I can clearly hear that's off and mom and dad are in bed. I can hear them talking to each other and I don't know. I'm like any other kid. I'm, um, I'm kind of giddy listening to them. Like I'm spying on them and they don't know I'm awake. They think I'm asleep and, and uh, I'm getting away with something. So I had that kind of feeling and, um, I'm listening to him talk. My mom laughed and, and my dad was talking and it was pretty continuous. They were having some kind of conversation in bed before they went to sleep. And, um, there was a flash outside the window. I clearly saw this very, very bright white flash. It seemed to be coming from the corner. We lived on a corner. It seemed to be coming from the direction of, uh, the intersection of the corner. And, um, and it just became quiet. I noticed all of a sudden mom and dad aren't talking anymore. And um, and the whole house was just so silent. I mean I thought I'd at least hear a refrigerator running. I didn't even hear that. It was just really sickly quiet until I hear what sounds like uh, footsteps coming down the hallway. And we had carpeting. So you kind of heard that that shushing sound when someone walks on carpet. And uh, the room looks normal. I can see the door. I can see the bathroom light and all that. And then I see this man uh, walks into my room. And he's short. He's wearing uh, what looks like a walk lid with no handle on his head. It is like a copperish, brass, bronzy color. And... Um, uh, I remember like thinking, uh, like oriental looking, it was that sort of look, it was that kind of feel, or maybe that's how I think of it now is that it really had that flavor to it. And, uh, I remember not being afraid. I remember thinking like, wow, like, what is this? Like, who is this? Like, what is, what is this? You know, who's in my house? I mean, wild. Check this out. That kind of just completely stupid and uh, an innocent way about it. And um, I don't. I think in some way, I, I I've always had this feeling that I thought maybe this was some kind of surprise for the birthday that I didn't know about. Like I don't know why. I, I mean, mom and dad were asleep. I don't know why that would cross through my head, but. Somehow I keep coming back to that feeling when I think about this. And so he walks over to the bed and he looks at me and I came out from underneath the covers. I was already sitting up, came out from underneath the covers and I get on my knees and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and I'm fascinated. I mean, I'm fascinated with this and he kind of puts his hands together and then he puts his palms out to me. And then he turns him over and there was some, I don't know how to explain it other than, you know, is it a make sure you stay quiet or don't move or don't touch me or 
that kind of like I'm going to do something, but just stay back a little bit, you know, see nothing in my hands, you know, turns them over. He brings them apart as if he's going to clap them together. And when he does clap and he does, um, it sounds like a gong the size of the neighborhood. It is good. And when that happens, instantly I'm thrown into complete terror and I fall backwards and like a vibratory feeling that feels like slow motion. And really strange. But I remember I remember literally falling off the bed and thinking, boy, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> but I don't remember hitting the floor. I don't remember anything else. I remember waking up. And that was my ninth birthday. And incidentally, that waking event, up the next day. What's that? You said you remember waking up the next day? Yeah, I, I woke up the next day and I had no memory of how that event ended again. Right. It's just you're horrified and then you wake up in bed. And how does that make sense? And how could I be so horrified and fall asleep? It doesn't make any sense. This ended the white square, the black sheets. That was over. There was no more of that. It was over. I, I mean, I remember going to bed that night thinking about excuse me, thinking about the man or is it just going to go back to the other thing? What was that? I talked to my mom about it. She said, you're dreaming, but it stopped. I mean, those nightly events ceased at that day and that was my ninth birthday. So as I've thought about this over the years and trying to understand the feeling behind the gong and the, and the fear that erupted out of that, because I was not afraid at all. I was bewildered and fascinated by it. The gong put me into uh, kind of a it's too much stage of or frame of mind, I guess. It's it was overwhelming. And it wasn't just the audible part, it was that the gong I mean when I explained this to Lee years ago, he said uh, that the the sound of the gong is the sound of the universe. And I thought, well, yeah, kind of that's sort of right, I guess, in the way it felt. But the way it really felt was that I was experiencing all, everything, all time happening at once. And that's really the only way to explain it, is that it was everything from the dawn of what we know as time to the end of what we know as time. It was everything, but it all happened in one chest-pounding moment. One heartbeat, boom, and there it is, everything. And I just remember, like, uh, it was like being ripped apart, but it was like vibration and falling and uh, crying, laughing, screaming, just everything, it's too much, I can't handle it, <laughs> and then nothing, and then silence. So I, I, I don't know how better to describe that than that. Well, you said to me that yeah. the gong itself, uh-huh. the, the sound of the gong from beginning to end, yes, contained the universe? Contained everything. Contained all time, all every. It was like... Everything. It, it was. 
it wasn't like I heard individual sounds, but the gong was like it wasn't a representational sound. It wasn't like it was a gong, but it was just like God. I can visualize it so well. Like I see, if I think about it, I see just billions of particles bombarding me at one time that are all events of all sorts of times of all people of all everything just and it's like at that moment you fly through it all in a single heartbeat i mean if you can imagine that that's a pretty abstract <laughs> that's a pretty abstract you know description but it's the only one i can say that makes sense in language i mean if you could visualize it it would be just uh like being drowned in sand in the, in in a nanosecond it's it's being bombarded and um and it was all time it was all everything it was um uh, and i don't even know where the like where did it end where did the time i have no idea it just was all it was all and it was all at once and um and I don't know that that it's possible that that's why I think of not time being a linear thing, but rather it is all happening and like a spider web um, of all possibilities. And it's all those possibilities. That was the gong too. It was every possibility of every, everything. Uh, it's it, indescribable. That is the best way to, to interpret the gong sound. And so what that meant or why it was done, I, I uh, and how that ties in with the fabric of every other experience that I've had since then. I'm not quite, I haven't quite resolved that in my own mind yet. But uh, that that's as best as I can describe it, and that's that's my early experiences. Now, you know, flash forward to to always knowing that there was something weird going on. Uh, or that I'd had some really extraordinarily weird things as I got older, and I remembered these things. These are my uh, strongest memories of being a kid, as either fascinating or sad as that is. That is true. Um, I remember a lot of happy things. I remember a lot of fun things and sad things, but those are the most strong, uh, easily visual I mean, I, I can picture them so so clearly. It's ridiculous, and uh, and they've they've held up for you know decades now. So that's really it. Now, again, going in and seeing uh, the cover of Communion or different weird things that would freak me out uh, for no apparent reason that had the familiarity of a smooth face and very large eyes like gas gas masks used to frighten me to death. Uh, uh, most people would say, well, they're inherently fearful looking anyway, but I had real adverse reactions to that. Um, even inanimate objects like, you know, not to bring up a bad thing here, Jeremy, but a bad piece of fruit that had two large depressions of rot on them um, that looked like a face or an eye, I would, it would freak me out. Um, I realized that this man with the walk lid on his head is the representational avatar of the alien. That is what he looked like, which is why I always chuckled at, you know, little gray men, green men and that sort of thing. It's like, they're not green. You know, they're, 
like a dirty tan type color. Um, so I knew, I knew at that point, that's why that, that facade of that face kind of freaked me out so bad when I, when it finally came into popular culture, I think probably with communion and with some other things that were so, so similar. Uh, I think that that was the reason that it freaked me out so bad because I immediately reconciled that with, uh, a time where I didn't know from a UFO and an alien and <laughs> sci-fi or any of that stuff, but yet there it was, and it seemed to be uh, just this big personal confirmation to me. So that's that's pretty much it, and that's the representation of the gong that, as best as I can explain it. Yeah, I just like the image of. I mean, when I picture it, I, I actually picture the waveform of the gong from beginning to end, containing everything. This sort of vibrating tone. Yeah. Containing everything. But like least. a ball. I mean, not like a, about that. yeah, like a, like a wave is, is a, I guess one way to look at it, but it was more like a, like a shield, you know, like boom, it was, uh, it was, you know, a, a gong kind of has a, uh, a beginning waveform of huge and then it trails off into nothingness. Well, this was more like it was long, but it was what you were containing in that was so vast and so big and so overwhelming uh, that it felt more like the waveform would have been a spherical shape. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's, yeah. That's like getting hit with a softball. <laughs> well, that's what I picture, but almost like teardrop, but at both ends. Yeah. Yeah. Just very, and bizarre. And, Pinched and at both ends, round in the middle. You know? And what I still can't figure out is the notion of a clap. You know, like when you pick that apart and you say, what is the Nothing sound of an alien hand. clapping? Yeah. Right. I mean, when you think about that, nothing in my hands, and yet when they clap, there it is, you know? I, I, like, I think, well, why a clap? What would a clap From have to nothing, do? everything. Yeah, I guess, you know? Um, I don't know, but there was, there was a very weird... Um, his movements were even very weird. I mean, they were unbelievably precise in other words it wasn't just like hey look at nothing in my hands kiddo it wasn't wasn't so so uh common as that this was very like up forward you know very precise movements not shaking or um you know common movements these were really precise like almost like a martial arts person would do that kind of thing and have these very precise movements that are exact. But those people tend to like have a, a shake to their hands. This was like almost mechanical like. So anyway, that's that that's that one. So that's experience one. Experience two? Cut to the nineteen nineties. Uh-huh. There's a solar eclipse. Right. <laughs> Just prior to the solar eclipse, what happens? <laughs> Jeff and go. Really? Thanks. <laughs> well, as I said, you know, we're all space cadets, so here we go. <laughs> well, I think this is actually sort of a different perspective on that same experience in a way. You know, yeah, this is sort yeah. of you in in the clap. <laughs> well, yeah, I got the clap, all right. Um, well, I was working at um, – I, I just opened a business – you know, with no money, I'm opening a business with no money. Had some very big clients, so I knew it wouldn't be very long before I could get my own shop. But unfortunately, 
um, the shop I was previously managing, um, they closed down. The owner retired, and he decided to close the shop down. But I got all the clients. So um, business was there, but uh, no capital to start with. So my dad, uh, being the entrepreneurial uh, business owner that he is, um, he said, you know, come up the shop, and uh, we'll divide my place in half, and you can have half the shop. I said, great, okay. And um, and so I was working there, and uh, solar eclipse day. I don't know the day of it, and I, my my best guess the year as you mentioned, I think uh, ninety two or three, probably somewhere in there. But I could be wrong. But I know I was working up there at the shop, and it was a fairly new start. And um, without going into all the tandem stuff of where I was and all of that, I ended up running up the street to a client and, you know, he informed me solar eclipse was coming. I felt a little strange then, uh, before he even told me that. And as the eclipse came, you know, dad had his welding helmet out there and I was able to look at it, um, briefly to see that this is a solar eclipse and, uh, we weren't going to be plunged in the darkness, but it certainly had that. I mean, if you were on the East coast, I figured you'd had to have seen this, that the, the greens got really green. The air almost looked green. It was a very green hue to everything. And even people who came into the shop that day said, yeah, this solar eclipse is neat, but you feel a little weird, don't you? And well, I did. And, um, I think I was, you know, to flesh this out even more than I did for Jeremy, I think I was coating out boards that I had to do a billboard for. So I'm outside rolling and, and, um, the sun typically would cure, a roll-on board in half an hour because you got beating sun and the UV UV rays with clear enamel, you know, cure it really quick. And I walked out. Uh, I it began rather slowly. This wasn't like a sudden thing. I began to see forms moving on the road behind the shop, across the street, or the parking lot, or the drive, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, they were light colored. They were lighter than what they, and there were definitely forms, but I couldn't make out what the forms were. And I heard sounds that I was looking around. I didn't see anything that could be making those sounds. And this is a very, very, uh, at the time, uh, very rural area. area. Uh, you know, I had horses across the street from me. So it's like, yeah, it's it's fields and farm and, and uh, some homes and one business. Uh, so as I'm looking around, I hear more sounds and I'm these odd shapes are getting more and more, well, frequent. I'm seeing them more frequently. They're not peripheral. They're direct line of sight. And, um, and eventually they, they took shape and they were, <laughs> They were cars that didn't look like normal cars. They looked like old cars. And then they, you would see that and then you would – a train and then people across the street coming out of a building that wasn't there anymore. And the building was there, but it wasn't there. It was like literally all times happening at once. I saw horses and carriages and buses and cars and a train <laughs> – 
and people that you know were in like tattered farming clothes and people who looked very poor uh i heard a train i heard what sounded like a train wreck i mean it was bombastic noise tearing you know instantaneous metal ripping and uh i heard screaming i heard gunshots i heard running and walking and clopping of horses and motors and again just completely overwhelming i mean the visual was overwhelming and i i don't even know what was going through my head at that point i was just i was literally moving around like in a in a circle just kind of look here and looking over there and and spinning around just like what the fuck <laughs> Uh, I think I even said that, and you know, Jared, thinking about it, I feel like I'm reasonably sure that I actually said something like "Dad," and but not loud enough that I don't think he would have heard me. At this point, I'm I'm behind um, the shop. Well, I'm 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 actually at the side of the shop, but more towards the back end, and I'm behind this big black truck, and um, I just remember. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily remember sitting down, but I remember just kind of like trying to put my hands over my face and my, and cut my ears and just kind of shut it all out because it was just overwhelming. And, um, I don't remember thinking what was wrong with me. I remember thinking this is serious. Uh, something's wrong and this is serious and never equated anything, any part of it to an eclipse. And, you know, after the fact, I feel certain it was related to that. But um, the next thing I know, you know, my dad is shaking me saying, are you all right? What's the matter? What's going on? What's it? You know, I was hysterical and I just stood up and apparently the lady behind that lived there, I think she's since passed away, but um, or moved. Um, she had told my dad I was out behind the shop just kind of like uh, freaking out. <laughs> and he went back to see what was going on. I was on the ground kind of with my eyes shut hands over my head, over my ears, just trying to block it all out. And when he shook me, I kind of popped out of it and there wasn't anything. It was gone. But I feel certain that there was time lapsed in between there where I just was not there. And I, we went back in the shop and the light was starting to return to some kind of normalcy. I mean, it was not as green. I felt better. I felt like connected i felt disconnected i guess is the best way to put it during that time it felt disconnected it felt like i was literally seeing all time happening at once in this one little area this one little geographic area area and um and i didn't know until sometime later when some man brought my dad a picture of the garage like way back you know when there were model t's and that kind of thing the garage building has been there for a long time and some pictures of a train wreck that happened behind the, the garage. There used to be a train there, and it wrecked, and it killed a few people. And I heard a train, what can only be described as a train wreck. I mean, and it was a horrible, horrible sound. Um, but again, it was literally like seeing everything is happening at once. It's it's every time. It was everywhere you looked. There was another, <laughs> there was another age, you know. It's like. And you asked me, did I see dinosaurs and that sort of thing? No, but I did see empty field, like where there was nothing. Um, uh, but I still heard everything. 
but yet you're seeing the house across the street is gone. You know, the, the house that used to be adjacent is gone. And then the next minute there'd be people coming out of a building that's not there. Uh, you know, there'd be a train and I could see it, you know, somewhat back, but I could see it. Uh, and then it wasn't there. And then there was a horse. I, you know, I, there's no real easy way to describe that. It's just, you know, picture yourself, take yourself out of time and now place your, yourself in a spot where everything is happening at once. And think about how overwhelming that would be. And, um, uh, and, and then try to, uh, try to realize that you can like, when you look and you focus the attention on one spot, you see it. And when you break that gaze and you look in a different direction, you're, it's something else. It's some other time, but yet the other time is going on at the same time. That's kind of like what it was like. If you and, looked uh, back, would you see that? Like if you were looking at the horse and then you looked away and saw something from modern time, if you looked back, would the horse still be there? Yeah, and they're going through each other. I mean, they're actually like overlapping, <laughs> you know? I mean, thank God I wasn't in Baltimore or something. Was God all knows. this going on at the same time, or was it was a new layer being introduced and a new one and a new one and a new one? Well, it was like these shapes that I couldn't figure out. These it started out, like I said, with these dim forms that seemed to be running through each other, like this just weird, blocky, or uh, partial. What looked like um, like. The, the edge of a cloud in a lightning storm, how it illuminates that edge. It would be like that, like a sliver of something kind of moving. I mean, like, what the fuck is that? And then the next thing you know, you're, these, these things are becoming more and more prevalent. You see that fucking horse. There's a ghost of a horse here. There's a horse. There's a ghost, you know? I mean, and, but yet everything then is starting to become more and more visually recognizable. And it just built and built and built until, I don't know, it just, and I was in a rural area where, let's face it, not a lot happens. But now take that rural area and say, what's that look like over the course of like a hundred years, maybe, or more? I don't know. There's a lot happens. There's a lot, there's a lot that's happened even in these rural areas. Yeah, you, you could break your gaze from one, but after a while it was like, where do you look? I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's every place and things, I would see things coming at me and that's why I was spinning kind of like, do I get out of the way or do I just stand here? Am I safer if I just stay still? Will it stop if I stand still? You know, I don't know. It, um, it was extraordinarily weird, but I, you couldn't paint this. Like most of my experiences, I could sit down and if I really, really tried, if I wanted to focus that intently, I could draw it. You know, or I could make a film or something like like this. You couldn't – you might be able to do the beginning, but you can't do it once it's all there. It would just be – it would just look like <laughs> taking, you know, a hundred strips of movie and like running them all through the projector at one time, if that makes sense. It's like it would just be a mess, and that's what it was. It looked like a mess, um, but yet you could see things in it and – one thing would then you'd look at it and then something else would kind of catch you and then that and then that would disappear and you'd look over here and that I mean picture that I mean it's just like bleh, you can't keep it all in your head and so um, you know my answer at that point was just uh, curl up in a ball and cover it and shut my eyes and 
try to not hear. Like I wanted nothing more than just not to hear. And then the next thing that I heard was Jeff, 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 what's the matter? Get up. You know, uh, what? <laughs> um, and that's when the, uh, that's when the, uh, the eclipse was essentially done. So, well, the night that we talked about this, was that not the night that something appeared in your home as well? Um, was it? You're talking about the, um, uh, the ball in the dining room. Yeah. I don't know if that was that night or not. Um, I think it might've been the night before I sent you an email. Wait a minute. I mean, while I'm looking this email up, yeah, it was in the living room. It was late again, around the three o'clock hour. And, um, I was in the living room on the couch and I have a clear view of the dining room from the couch. Now I, I saw very clearly a light and it was large. It was, um, between a softball and a basketball in size, uh, very white. It more or less showed up. We've hung new curtains in the dining room and there's a, there's a center part in the curtains. Sunday, May 1st, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. Is that what it is? Okay. Uh So there you are. Sunday into Monday, I suppose, right? Uh, yeah. Into Monday. Okay. So, uh, I see this light, you know, in my periphery and I look over and it's there. I mean, it's really there and it's dead in the center of the room, which means from my vantage point, it's dead in the center of where the curtains part. But I pull the curtains closed at night after my wife goes to bed because I don't want to see out those big glass doors. I just don't. And so, um, I have, uh, security lights that occasionally will go on for no apparent reason, perhaps a, a rabbit, or the groundhog, or the raccoon, or bird. We got a lot of animals, but they were pulled together. But right where those curtains part in the middle is where this light was from my vantage point. And as I watched, it moved towards the left, towards the wall, which would be going towards where Jeremy stays through the bathroom, that sort of thing. It moved to the left, and as it moved, it got smaller and smaller until it was just not there. It was gone before it even got to the wall. And, like, I knew it was in the room. But yet, you know, the the skeptical angle for me is, is there somebody outside with a flashlight, and it just happened to go past that part in the you know, in the curtains and I caught more light than going through the curtains. Like, is that what that was? So I immediately, I jump up, I go out and I turn the security lights on because they're off until I go to bed. Um, sometimes Lisa will turn them on when she goes to bed. So sometimes they're on, sometimes they're not, but always when I go to bed, I turn them on, I flip them on, I flip them off, I flip them back on, which turns them on. So they don't go off. And there's nobody out there. There's nothing there. There's no sound. There's no nothing. And um, it was very, very, very present. And um, it does not sound dissimilar from what my son, of all people, Mr. Uber Skeptic, uh, saw in your room that came flying at him from the corner of the room. The same size, as he described to me, is what was in the, the dining room. Also, we've talked about the light on the ceiling that Jeremy's seen and, and all of that. I was watching TV. I think it might have been a nine or two before that. And uh, I saw that one now is in the corner 
where the fart chair now resides. <laughs> so it's in the opposite corner of the room now. I see it. Still see it in the normal spot, but now I'm seeing it over in the corner as well. Could it be uh, swamp gas? Uh, well, it could be another type chair. of gas, but you're not here. <laughs> um, so, no. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And here's interesting for you. Go on. Jeremy's voice pops into my head. Why don't you set up a goddamn camera, Jeff? And I look around for the camera. I can't find the camera. And uh, turns out it was right underneath the table, the double-decker table next to the leather chair. It was underneath there. I just didn't see it because it was dark in the room. But uh, I did have the presence of mind to say, let me get the camera and set it up on a, you know, a can or something or a flower pot and see if I can angle it up towards the ceiling and see if I get anything. But I couldn't find it. So I, at least I had the presence of mind to think about it, <laughs> which usually I, usually I don't. Baby but, steps. Uh, yeah, hey, I'll take it, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, I've actually thought about taking the Mac out and, uh, setting it in the floor with a, a longer, uh, cable and just letting it run on Ustream. That could be a project for, uh, maybe in, in coming weeks I could do that. And maybe some of our listeners, if they're in different time zones, could kind of keep a lookout and see if you see anything. I'd be Colin Reed. Yeah. He's up all night. Yeah. Colin, you know, so. So that's those two experiences I told you about. And um, and now we're at the end of our show. That's it. <laughs> Look how that works. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You know, it's like I don't know why I worry about what I say because – Look at what I've said in the past. How different is this? Uh, well, I don't know what you think is so bad about what you've said that, that you need to worry about. Well, because I think when you see uh, you know, things like that, I think that that could say to a lot of people, that's a psychotic breakdown. <laughs> I don't think you know? so. I don't think – I think the psychotic break is that you think um, seeing a guy who looks like the communion figure in a walk hat Slapping in your room, you think that part's acceptable. That's the part that makes you psychotic. Oh, well, in a way, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, all that. I mean, all of this, you could say, you know, well, he's nuts. But well, I don't see. Not. I don't see how it's uh, a whole lot different than the big I am experience. I mean, it's mm -hmm. sort of different takes on that, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, the clapping gong thing was just such a violent. I mean, my whole body was was vibrating with it. You know, it's like, uh, it's like standing in front of, and I have stood in front of, you know, five Marshall stacks and hit a E chord and you feel it, you feel the punch and the vibration of that. But, um, this would be if, you know, the entire world was a Marshall half stack or full stack and you hit that chord. I mean, it would, it just would vibrate every, every molecule in your body. And that's what it felt like. Um, and I've often wondered, you know, did that do something physically to, to me? Um, um, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole different show to talk about how some experiences, in fact, a lot of experiences I've talked to have felt, uh, some measure of, uh, not immunity, but a, a sense of being, uh, looked after, I guess is the word, you know, that, that's sort of like. There's a feeling of, of like a protection type of thing that I, a lot of people have conveyed to me. Um, I've not had that in any great sense in my own life, but uh, a whole lot of people have said that, you know, 
that's probably another show. I'd like to maybe have an experience or round table at some point and ask everybody that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll save that. Yeah. Very good. Well, for is. now, let's call it a wrap. Yeah. And next week will be Whitley Strieber with The Key. All right. We'll be finally delving into that with uh, your buddy Lee. Yes, Lee will be present for the Whitley interview. Very cool. Look forward to having him on. Uh, thanks again, Tim Banal from banalofamerica.com. Yes, thank you, Tim. And we will see everybody next week. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.